win. It's Friday edition Main Street Sports Today presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. I'm Chris Yao. He's Maurice Patton, and it is Friday. 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 <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting, though, because, you know, after two straight weeks of only doing three shows, it's. Yeah, we really don't have a whole lot to complain. No, about, no, it's been, it's a, we, we've been on the backside of the week for, for two, two weeks straight. And, yeah. and now, you know, obviously it's easier to do that at that, at that point in time, because there's a lot less outside of college bowl games. There's just not as much to, that's going on. But now that college basketball is ramping up, we're getting into uh, conference play for everybody in the Division One level, men's and women's. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about that today. As a matter of fact, it's getting that time where it feels like you know things are ramping up, even as college football is winding down. There's a lot more basketball teams than there are football teams now. There are, <laughs> and 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 they're doubled because there's men's and women's. That's right. So, <laughs> so you got. In fact, there were some interesting women's results last night that we're going to touch on in the rundown and possibly beyond yeah, no doubt so it, it, it's going to be an exciting uh, show an exciting rest of the month thank you guys for hanging out with us we hope that you will stick around for the remainder of the show because we have for you david oven who will talk a little bit about willie simmons and his apparently now conclusion or concluded decision oh yeah to uh, make his way to duke and become a position coach and leave his head coaching position at Florida A&M, where he just won the Celebration Bowl and the HBCU National Championship. So, Ovid's going to join us with that. We'll probably talk a little bit and touch on the College Football National Championship game that will be taking place on Monday. We'll also talk with Terry McCormick as the Titans prepare for a win-win situation on Sunday. So, can't beat that. It's always good when, when if you lose, you still win. And that is what the Titans situation is. Although, again, despite I think you're going to have Mike a Brable, tough time. Brable, yeah, yeah. Despite what Mike Vrabel did say to a columnist in this uh, middle Tennessee yesterday. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, those comments were great. We can't play them on our show. Mm -mm. They were great. Mm -mm. I, We'll also talk. You, you play to win the game. Yeah, he had some more colorful language than that. <laughs> oh man, Blake Lovell's going to join us. Talk a little SEC hoops as conference play is going to get started for the men tomorrow. All of that. The NCAA has extended a contract for its championship games to be broadcast on ESPN. There's some. Interesting scenarios that could take place within that. Uh, in addition, not, that's not been universally yeah it's, it's, received. It's, yeah, it's a little controversial. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and then another controversial issue regarding money. Surprise, surprise, is the college football playoff is considering withholding, I guess, dividends for lack of a better term to group of five teams who move up to power conferences for a certain period of time. Ooh. And so we'll get into that as well. And yeah, and then we'll look ahead to the weekend. There's a lot going on this weekend, so looking forward to it. Now, 
Before we look ahead, let's look back to yesterday's scores. We'll also get you this weekend's schedule. All of that on The Rundown. This is The Rundown. The Friday Rundown is brought to you by Chip Walters of Exit Realty, Bob Lamb and Associates. The Blue Raider Voice also wants to be your trusted advisor in real estate. Contact Chip at 615-542-1915 or through his website at choosechip.net. Chip Walters, proud to support youth sports across Middle Tennessee. Girls basketball last night ends work down Brentwood Academy 56-47. It was Nashville Christian with a 56-35 win over Clarksville Academy. Christ Presbyterian 59, St. Cecilia Academy 36. Eagleville down Mount Pleasant 81-13. Zizo Harding 41-30 winners over Davidson Academy and Father Ryan with a 43-35 win over Lipscomb Academy. Dawson Christian down Friendship Christian 50-30. Pope Prep 51-50 winner over Harper Hall. A lot of winners over Giles County. Pickamore down Central in a throw of 40 to 39. And Riverside Christian with a 41 34 win over Zion Christian. In boys' basketball, Brentwood Academy defeated Innsworth 52 41 on Thursday night. Also, Clarksville Academy with a 74 29 win over Nashville Christian. Ezeld, I'm sorry. Eagleville defeated Mount Pleasant 53-46. Ezell Harding with a 68-45 win over Davidson Academy. Lipscomb Academy 58, Father Ryan 56. Friendship Christian down Donaldson Christian 71-48. It was Lawrence County with a 62-45 win over Rockvale. Pope Prep. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. 69, Montgomery Bell Academy 62. Good Pasture with a 55-52. Oh, excuse me. 55 25 win over Mount Juliet Christian. Dallas County got a big night out of KT Turner down Spring Hill, 88-33. Murfreesboro Central with a 73-63 win over Sycamore and Zion Christian, 68. Riverside Christian, 30. In men's basketball action at the collegiate level, Austin P gets a win over Bellarmine, 84-68. Eastern Kentucky brings Lipscomb down to reality with an 80-72 win over the Bison. Southern Indiana edges Tennessee State 69-67. Big win for Trebekah, 82-71 over Ashland and Fisk with a 91-82 win down against the Virgin Islands. Women's basketball action, Southern Indiana completed the sweep of the Tigers and Lady Tigers, 78-57 the final on the women's side. Austin P down Bellarmine, 65-63. It was Lipscomb, 64-59 winners over Eastern Kentucky. Vanderbilt, with a large chunk of the game, played without its star player, 71-66 winners over Mississippi State. Belmont down Illinois State, 64-52. Tennessee with a 75-67 win over Auburn. Trevecca Falls to Ashland, 72-68. But anybody who knows anything about Ashland knows that that is a respectable score against the, I think, defending national champs. So there you go. Fisk, 86-50 winners over the Virgin Islands, completing that sweep. In NHL play, Calgary doubles up the Predators. UC Soros struggling 6-3 the final in Nashville. Today's high school basketball schedule, these are all double headers, all 6 o'clock starts. Oakland is at Beach. Cane Ridge hosts Lipscomb. A lot of purple there. East Hickman's at Cheatham County. Springfield goes to Clarksville Northwest. Columbia Central hosting Warren County. 
Dixon County taking on visiting West Creek. Maplewood goes to East Nashville. Portland is, is at East Robertson. Laverne travels to FC Boyd Senior Christian. Uh, the oldest rivalry in Franklin in Williamson County. Brentwood goes to Franklin. Zion Christian is at Franklin Christian. Not whoa. Zion Christian and Knowledge Academies are not both at Franklin Christian. Um, oh, go to Franklin Christian, see who shows up. <laughs> Columbia Academy is at Franklin Road Academy at six o'clock. Also, Station Camp is at Gallatin. Glencliff hosts Antioch. Franklin Classical is at Hampshire. Hickman County travels to Harpeth. Hendersonville faces visiting Stewart's Creek. Centennial is at Independence. Henry County goes to Kenwood. Clarksville is at Kirkwood. Loretto comes to Lawrence County. Green Hill is at Lebanon. Marshall County hosts in Lead Academy. Smyrna is at McGavick. Providence Christian goes to Middle Tennessee Christian. Holler Rock Brewston is at Montgomery Central. Eagleville goes to Moore County. Wilson Central is at Mount Juliet and Page Post Summit. Also tonight in Williamson County action, Nolensville is at Ravenwood. Richland is at home against Cornersville. Shovelville goes to Riverdale. Clarksville Northeast is at Rossview. Santa Fe hosting Cullioka. And big events happening there tonight. So you, make, you might want to get there a little early. I don't know. Stratford at STEM Academy. Spring Hill. You might want to get there early anyway because the parking lot is a mess. The parking lot is a mess. And if you don't want to walk a, a ways, yeah, getting there early is a good idea. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Spring Hill is down at Summertown. I'll have coverage of that on MS underscore sports today's Twitter. You'll be at Santa Fe as well. So mm -hmm. there's that. Greenbrier's at Sycamore. Grace Franklin is at University School of Nashville. White House hosting Lawson. Liberty Creek's at White House. Heritage and Watertown is at York Institute. On Saturday at 2 o'clock, uh, Rossview is at Siegel at 4 o'clock. Cannon County's at Murfreesboro Central Magnet. Again, these are double headers with the, the girls' first boys to follow. Clarksville Academy's at Davidson Academy at 6. Also at 6 is Donaldson Christian hosting Good Pasture Friendship Christian. He's at Harding Franklin Road Academy hosting the Tennessee Heat. Brentwood Academy's at Pope Prep, and Creekwood is at Upperman. Girls basketball today, 5.30, Pope Prep is at Harpeth Hall. Six o'clock, St. Cecilia Academy is at Christ Presbyterian Academy. Tomorrow at one, girls only game between Father Ryan and Ensworth. At 2.30, University School of Nashville is at Valor Collegiate in a girls only game. At six, Harpeth Hall is at Christ Presbyterian. Also at six, Lipscomb Academy is at St. Cecilia and Montgomery Central is at Cheatham County. Boys only game at six o'clock tonight. Battleground Academy travels to Bell Buckle, taking on the Web Feet. And tomorrow night, boys only, 7.30, Montgomery Bell Academy is at Price Presbyterian. College basketball, doubleheader action on Saturday. Tennessee State is at Moorhead State. That's a 12 noon tip-off for the women, followed by the men at 2.30 p.m. That one can be seen on ESPN+. Also on Saturday, um... Point is at UT Southern in a double dip, 12.30 for the women, 2.30 for the men. And Malone is at Rebecca, 1.30 and 3 o'clock. The latter game or both games? Both games will be on the Both games are on Great Midwest Athletic Conference television. Men's basketball today, Cumberland is at Central Baptist at 7.30. Tomorrow, Alabama will mm -hmm. visit 
Nashville and Memorial Gymnasium. They take on Vanderbilt at 2.30 on the SEC Network. Lipscomb is at Bellarmine at 3. At 5 on the SEC Network is Ole Miss at Tennessee, which will be a really interesting ball game. Austin Pease at Eastern Kentucky at 6. And on Sunday at the curb, get there if you can. It's going to be live on ESPN2, though. Drake at Belmont. Women's basketball tonight, 6 o'clock. Cumberland is at Samford. Tomorrow at 2, Eastern Kentucky is at Austin P. Also at 2, Bellarmine is at Lipscomb. On Sunday, Kentucky plays at Tennessee. That's an 11 o'clock start, and it can be seen on the SEC Network at 1. Florida comes to Vanderbilt, and that's on ESPN+. NHL this weekend, the Preds travel to Dallas. That's a 7 o'clock puck drop on Saturday on Valley Sports South. The Grizzlies are on the road tonight at 9 against the Lakers. That can be seen on ESPN. And Sunday at 7 on Valley Sports Southeast, they are at the Suns. 12 noon on Sunday on CBS, the Titans season finale against visiting Jacksonville. And that is your rundown. Tom Story is brought to you by our friends, as always, at the Piggly Wiggly here. The Piggly Wiggly. The Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> here in Columbia, Neely's Most Shopping Center. Make sure to go by and get uh, delicious lunch at the deli or, of course, fresh hand-cut meats and more. All costs plus 10 at the register. That's Piggly Wiggly, Neely's Most Shopping Center in Columbia. Mo, today's top story comes from the Bay Area, the West Coast whatever else the 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 town so whatever uh, the oakland athletics who have been approved to move out of oakland don't want to be there have no desire to be there no desire instead of leaving and taking their ball and going taking their ball and going home they are not allowing anyone else's ball to play in there um story on the Associated Press. The minor league Oakland Bees, short for ballers, plan to take over the Oakland A's venue at the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum for a night of nostalgia in late June until the big league club blocked their agreement as exclusive rights holder to the building for professional baseball. So the ballers are going to be an independent league team and will begin play this coming season um, as part of the independent pioneer league. Um, they had a game scheduled for June 29th while the A's are out of town against the owls, O-W-L-Z, owls of Northern Colorado in what they hoped would be, quote, a celebration of Oakland's baseball legacy and the Coliseum and a joyful farewell and celebration. Um, began negotiations in July to play at the Coliseum, had signed a lease and paid the deposit by December. A few days after Christmas, the ballers were informed that the athletics would be enforcing a clause in their contract with the stadium 
that prevents other baseball, other professional baseball teams from playing at the Coliseum. Uh, we are disappointed in this development as we believe this would have been a great event for Oakland. Regardless of this setback, nothing will stop us from turning the page on a new chapter for baseball in the town. So here's the thing. The general, the generally accepted thought behind this is the Oakland athletics were afraid that they were going to get outdrawn by the Oakland ballers. I don't think they were afraid. I think they, they were knew. certain. <laughs> <laughs> They they, they weren't fearful, they were knowledgeable, yeah. (laughs) They knew exactly what was going to happen, and that's that's, that's a problem. And and I understand that being a problem for them. I really do. Like, I I get that. I'm not not saying that they, you know, have, don't have an argument here, because they do. And, And look, their contract does say no professional baseball teams. Now, what I don't know is, are the Oakland Ballers a professional baseball team? I guess it depends on your definition of professional. I mean, uh, they, is the, they're is playing the, independent ball. Is the Pioneer League a professional a, baseball league? I assume it is. Otherwise, this would not matter. You wouldn't think. According to Wikipedia, uh, it it was affiliated, obviously, with minor league baseball, mm-hmm. but it does not uh, it does not say whether or not they're they they call themselves a professional baseball league, and neither does their website. So I think this is this could be an interesting situation. It's certainly going to be interesting, and I don't think it's over. <laughs> I mean, I, if you pay your players, then you're professional. You're professional. It's intended to serve as a developmental league, but so is the USFL or UFL, whatever, right? No player on the active list having more than three years of prior professional baseball service. So you cannot have played in the minors for more more than than three years. years. Right. So if they are not a professional or if they are a professional team, then you can't play on this team for more than three years. But if they are not, Mm -hmm. then guess what? This will be interesting. This mm-hmm. this will be worth watching and keeping an eye on. I have a feeling. And I mean, if you are the Oakland Athletics, you know what what good comes from this stance? What does it Clear, I mean, clearly you're not concerned with the optics. Yeah. Why does it matter to them? It doesn't. You're leaving town. You've decided you're going to leave. You have secured a, another spot. I mean, have secured. <laughs> they have a city. They don't have a place. They do have a city. They do not have a venue. Yeah, you're right. But I mean, <clears throat> what what's 
What's your point? I, I got, I, look, this, this is a petty move by the Oakland Athletics being petty for petty's sake. And, you know, even as petty as we consider ourselves to be at times, this ain't it. Well, just, just go to Vegas and you rip these folks' heart out already. Mm-hmm. And now you're just going to throw it down and stomp on it, too? I mean, why? What are you, what are you accomplishing? Absolutely nothing. You're you're accomplishing exactly what the ballers probably want you to accomplish. They're, they're, you think they're going to get as much publicity out of this or out of out of announcing their game versus announcing they're not allowed to play because of the actions of the athletics? Yeah, yeah. They, this is free publicity. We're talking about this in Nashville, Tennessee. You don't think the Bay Area folks are talking? I bet Christopher Gabriel's talking about it. Mm-hmm. No doubt. And everybody else along the coastline, everybody else in San Francisco, Oakland, everybody else from San Diego to, to Seattle, they're talking about this. Yeah. It's a bad look. It's an it's awful look. I mean, there's no there's no good look for this for the A's. It, 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 it could have been. They could have welcomed them with open arms and said, hey. Take care of the stadium. Take care of, take care of the legacy for us. Mm-hmm. We've done what we need to do. The legacy. We, we wish the city of Oakland well. Why not do that? That's that. Well, there was a part of a two hour and 46 minute interview that I watched in entirety. So you have watched it all? Uh, I've watched every second of it. And part of that interview was the subject was, a, was, was in an interview and <clears throat> in a separate interview mm-hmm. and was caught off guard by the line of question because that was not what was told to them ahead of time. I said, look, I, I was expecting this line of questioning and you're going to attack me over here. So now I have to pivot, right? Well, why didn't you just say, I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about this. this. And he said, you misunderstand my job. <laughs> my job is to me. My allegiance is to me, not to nothing else. So if you're going to attack me, then I'm going to attack back. And that may or may not be the right call. It may or may not be the right call. Public relations, public relations in an entity as big as Major League Baseball and a sub-entity as the Oakland Athletics or Las Vegas Athletics or whatever, taking the high road would be the better option. Instead, they have chosen animosity at every single step mm. for the last Four years. Not just animosity, but antagonism. Absolutely. They have antagonized every bit of it. It's absurd. Yeah. Anyway, let's take a break. When we come back, David Ubbin joins us to talk a little bit about 
college football and coaching and much more. So stick around. Main Street Sports Today presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint returns in a moment. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Piggly Wiggly, located in Neely's Mill Shopping Center, is Columbia's locally owned and operated Cost Plus 10 grocery store dedicated to serving the community with low prices and smiling faces. Piggly Wiggly offers fresh, hand-cut meats daily as well as daily hot plate lunches from their deli counter. You're certain to see smiling faces and a helping hand when you're here at Piggly Wiggly. Come by and check out our fresh produce, high-quality meats, and more. Down home, down the street, we'll see you at the Pig. Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic service and our ortho quick walk-in clinic lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. Welcome back in Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Chris Yao, Maurice Patton. Mo, my New Year's resolution was not to argue on the internet. You've broken it already. I've not. Oh, okay. I, I've made it five <clears throat> minutes. Now, that don't mean I ain't typed it and deleted, deleted. it. Because <laughs> you got to get it out, right? So... But, man, college football conversations mm -hmm. just get insanely ridiculous. They really do. 
Because fandom knows no bounds. It's not all they know. No. <laughs> exactly. They 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 know know a lot. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's it's just really interesting how how college football really dominates a lot of what we do. And and particularly the way that we try to incorporate the lower levels of college football from I don't like to look at it as a lower level. I like to look at it as as the underexposed. Well, uh, sure. The the FCS to NAI underserved. And you know so to us there are some things that don't make a whole lot of sense. But maybe in another world they do make sense. I don't know. Well, that's why we're going to talk to David about it. That's absolutely why we're going to talk to David Ubbin. David Ubbin of The Athletic joins us here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. And David, I know the Michigan-Washington National Championship game is on Monday night and dominates a lot of folks' attention. But I was really intrigued last week as it started to bubble up that Willie Simmons was going to leave Florida A&M as head coach to become running backs coach at Duke under Manny Diaz, who the two had coached together at, of all places, Middle Tennessee State. But um, I'm fascinated, David, that Willie Simmons clearly feels like the ascending hierarchy, if you want to be a power five head football coach, is HBCU head coach, power five position coach, and whatever comes after that. And that man knows better than anybody else what's best for his career. But it's an awfully disappointing thought to me that you can't get there from FAMU without being a position coach. I mean, not coordinator, position coach. So first, good afternoon. But second, I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, there's always been sort of a glass ceiling from HBCUs and moving up. Um, I think some of it is sort of an accepted stigma of like, well, he's coaching at the HBCU, but if you want a a big-time FCS job, or a G5 job, you don't see that move a lot. You know, obviously Dion is the exception, not the rule. And there's about a bajillion reasons we don't need to get into on this show for why he was able to make that leap. Um, but it's sort of a, a it's a troubling trend that's decades long. Uh, I mean, college football on its own has a long uh, sort of history of underserving black coaches. And there's not a ton of opportunities. I know a lot of these guys, talk to a lot of these guys, and everybody sort of knows the game. They know what's up, but you got to give yourself all the opportunities you can. And I think clearly in Willie Simmons's case, you know, I think you're right, uh, Mo, that the 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 climb up is probably a little bit easier from being a Power Five position coach because then you get a coordinator job if you succeed there, and then you can you can get a head coaching job. And then once you do that, when you have that foundation of well, he's already run his program you sort of lessen um, a lot of people's concerns. But, you know, this is this is just where we are in the sport, and this is kind of what it is. Yeah, I, I, I get that, and he gets that. 
And again, it's his career. Nobody's forcing him to make that move, but it's just, it's disappointing that having been head man at Florida A&M, having been head coach at Prairie View prior to that, having had the success he had in both those positions, that he has to take a step back, a couple of steps back. Again, he's not going to Duke to be offensive coordinator. He's going to be a position coach. And, you know, he pointed out, I guess, in an interview earlier this week that besides Dion, only two other sitting HBCU head coaches have moved to head coaching positions in non-HBCU positions. Um, mm-hmm. Willie Jeffries, when he left South Carolina State to go to Wichita State back in the early 80s, I guess, mm-hmm. and which no longer plays football, by the way. I think he was the last head coach at Wichita State. And then um, Jay Hobson a few years ago when he went from Alcorn, which was his only HBCU coaching gig, to take over at Southern Miss. Mm-hmm. And Jay Hobson is not black. So um, those are the only other two besides Dion to go from an HBCU head coaching position to a non HBCU head coaching position. And it's, I guess, like you said, it's just where we're at, but it's, it's gotta be frustrating. I mean, I know it is for a lot of the coaches, but I think in the same breath, nobody's surprised at a lot of this stuff. I think the, the, the black coaches that I talk to and know, like understand sort of what they're up against because it's, it's a tough spot because you know that you can coach. And I think that this is one of the reasons why Dion had a lot of support for a long time is that people have the idea of what a head coach looks like or what a coordinator looks like or like. Um, and it doesn't always line up with uh, what that guy is, despite the fact that he can be a good football coach, which is winning games. But perception is such a big part of it, and the AD's got to relate to you, and the boosters have to relate to you. And if there's a disconnect there, it can be tough for guys to get jobs. And especially if you don't have boosters pushing to hire you, that can be a problem as well. And, you know, uh, in the college football world, in the big-time booster world, not a lot of people developing a ton of relationships at HBCU saying – we got to get Willie Simmons in here. That's just not something that happens. So everybody knows what the deal is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's kind of the, the elephant in the room that doesn't get discussed a whole lot. So I get it. But that was just something that had kind of been eating at me here this mm-hmm. week. And, and so I, I think the thing for me, me, when you, when I, I think that the, the toughest thing for me is when I saw it, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, like if you're trying to make a climb, it's like, I, I get it. Yeah. Like, I'm not even really surprised that he did it. You know, you just don't see that a ton. Um, but from the HBCU level, if you want to move up, you do have to get a little creative sometime, no matter how much success you've had at that level. Some, I think what really hit me was when someone tweeted a few days ago, um, Kurt Weiler, who I think might be, he's an FSU um, mm-hmm. writer. Mm-hmm. Heard some buzz about Willie Simmons potentially leaving. Now it would seem it's happening. He did some incredible things at FAM, and this is a logical, necessary step 
towards him landing an FBS head coaching job. And that kind of just kind of tore at me because I don't know why that's a logical, necessary step. Clearly it is. Yeah, I think the question but, is like clearly it shouldn't be, but in the in the in the idealist view, you would say it shouldn't be, but in the realist view and looking at the landscape and looking how things are, it it is. Yeah. It is because of like you said, people don't move up. Like you get uh, you know, that stigma on you of, oh well he's a good coach, but he's an HBCU coach. But, just, but he, yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess my my question is why? 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 What? What? I mean, well. what makes what makes success at Florida A and M any less, you know, important than success at any other? And obviously not to that level. I mean, you go you go eleven and one or twelve and one at at you know Montana State, North Dakota State, whatever. Like, but if if I took Sanford. To eleven and one, twelve and one, my next position would not have to be a running backs coach at Duke. Where did Kansas State's coach come from? Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where did Kansas's coach come from? Well, can't, I think I, I think where, part I'm of this is like when you get to the HBCU levels, the support is not what you'd like it to be. And so when you're at an HBCU and playing a lot of other HBCUs, it is sort of viewed as like the minor leagues of the FCS because the financial support is not always there. And, and that makes it hard to do literally anything. Um, it was a lot of the things that you heard Dion complain about because I, I think he sort of knew what he was getting himself into at Jackson State, but not really. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, when you don't have the financial support to run and play big time football, I don't have the budget numbers in front of me, but I feel fairly certain if you looked at what the budget was at a Jackson State, at an Alcorn State, at FAMU, and you compared it to Montana or North Dakota State, it would not reflect favorably on the administration. And and in some ways, okay, you know, like how does that not make like, it better? <laughs> how does that not make what you did more impressive? Because you're not playing team, you're not playing a lot of teams. Like there's not a lot of crossover between. You know, like the HBCUs will play by games, but they're not playing up. Like a lot of HBCUs don't participate in the FCS playoffs. If you were at an HBCU and you made a playoff run in the FCS against those big teams, then I think you might you might be. I mean, a lot of this goes into the structure of like the Black National Championship and why it is that way and why it exists outside the FCS. Because I would have liked to have seen what last year's Jackson State team could have done if they'd gotten into the FCS playoff, but they played in the HBCU National Championship, rather, um, you know, the, the, the swack meak uh, you know, matchup. So, you know, I think a lot of places, you know, the, a lot of the HBCUs prefer it that way, but I think and you prefer it that way and you have the Black National Championship structure and all the tradition that goes into the Celebration Bowl, I think in some ways when you don't have those crossover games, it might work against um, you know, the black coaches and your head coaches there because there aren't a ton of crossover games because you just don't see it a ton. You see them play by games against big time teams, uh, but you don't see them competing and beating, um, you know, a lot of the bigger FCS programs. And so, you know, a lot of this points to just like the structure of lower level football, which is, um, 
certainly debatable. I, I personally, you know, I didn't grow up around HBCUs. I'm not as steeped in some of the tradition. As a college football fan, I would like to see more crossover. I'd like to see the SWAC and the MEAC participate more in the FCS playoffs when teams are eligible and, and would be in that field. But there's a lot of people who do not feel that way that have a lot more tradition and a lot more um, invested in HBCU. So I kind of see to them on that. But as a college football fan, I'd, I'd like to see um, you know more teams participate. Well, that 14-point loss to USF looks a lot better now than it did in week two. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were a touchdown out in the fourth quarter. It was 31 24 with 10 minutes to go in the game, and they lose by you know, a couple touchdowns to a team that ended up being pretty darn good for you know, South Florida standards, anyway. So I don't know. I, I just feel like it's, it's a little interesting that success, you know, I, I guess sustained success perhaps could, could lead to something bigger, but it's just, it, it just doesn't make any sense to me how that's viewed differently than Wisconsin Whitewater. Right. Which is where Lance Leopold came from. So there you go. <laughs> um, David Ubbin, Ubbin of The Athletic joining us here on Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. And like I said, David, thanks for indulging me on that conversation because uh, you I do it for hours. It's a, there's a lot to it. I mean, I think some of it is about the structure of lower level college football. Um, but I, you know, and then it comes into the institutional support, but then why is the institutional support that way? Would it be different if they played? I mean, it, there's a lot of like existential questions, um, and a lot of tradition that means a lot to a lot of people, but might, some of it might be sort of self-inflicted, but, uh, you know, that's but not enough to reach into the pocketbook apparently. Well, yeah. Institutional support is another major, you know, like it's, you know, I, I, I don't have a lot of expertise about the you know, HBCU landscape in general. I just haven't grown up around it. Didn't spend a lot of time. I haven't covered it, but it, it is definitely frustrating for a lot of coaches that they don't have the support within the communities and within the university um, financially to do the things that they need to do. So I think it's there. I mean, again, this is like a three hour conversation you could have <laughs> about yeah. We'll about the structure of, of HBCU football and the plight of coaches there. But Willie Simmons has certainly spawned some of it. And and credit to Willie Simmons for having the self-awareness to realize if I want to be a power five head coach, and I do, then this is what I have to do. And apparently mm-hmm. he made that clear to the athletic administration at Florida A&M from day one. So – he, he's been transparent about that all along, and his departure has been received nothing but positively at Florida A&M. So, you know, congratulations to them as well. And I'll be interested to see where they go next, and I'll certainly be interested to see where Willie Simmons goes next. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, I don't know how many people bounce out of Duke other than Mike Elko, <laughs> you know, into power five positions. So it'll, it'll bear watching. Um, shifting gears again, obviously, Michigan, Washington, Monday night. This has got to be a situation where Michigan wins it and then vacates it, right? Is that the way this goes? <laughs> we'll see. I can't say I'd be shocked if that was the outcome down the line. Um, but, but that's a complicated, I mean, the thing that 
I always say when people talk about NCAA punishments is they don't act out of precedent a lot. And in this case, there's not a lot of precedent. But even when there is, it's still unpredictable. So, you know, I think once you, uh, you know, once they go in the committee on infractions and put the bags on everybody's head and spin them around and throw the dart at the dartboard of punishments, you know, it, it could be anything. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if that's the case, but I wouldn't be shocked if a very stern slap on the wrist happened too. I, you know, look, I don't think in the college football playoff era we're going to be seeing many titles vacated. It's well, lot. I guess, first of all, the title is not the conducted by the NCAA. The NCAA doesn't so, technically hand it out. Well, the so issue they, is they that what, what, a lot of these titles, you, yeah. hmm? what a lot of these titles were vacated for, you know, is – not to say it's legal now, but like getting guys paid is very easy to do legally, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of been always what people have run afoul and you know have run into trouble for. The Michigan situation is so wholly different that it's just not something that we've seen before. So I generally agree, but not necessarily over a governance issue, but just the structure of the sport has changed. I mean, you know, I think certainly the Jeremy Pruitt era in Tennessee were probably like the last people to really get hit for, I mean, you, you read the stuff in their allegations and you, you think about what's happening in the sport now. I mean, it's hilarious. Like, Oh, they gave their mom like 10 car payments or like, you know, $3,000 to just take care of stuff, you know, or they paid for their hotel on an official, on an unofficial visit. It's so, I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, listen, I, I think that, the one thing about the whole conversation on NIL and punishments and all of that stuff is that I think more and more people started to figure out – I think Miami was kind of the turning point, the Nevin Shapiro case. Mm-hmm. Like After that, I think people start – more and more people started to realize, oh, wait, the NCAA traffic cops are actually the bad people here. <laughs> like they're, they're punishing kids and coaches for doing things that are objectively moral. Like, and you're trying to uphold an immoral, exploitive system. And so I think more and more people realize that. So, you know, people complain about the transfer portal, and I'm not sure that the portal as it is now is good for the sport, but it's certainly a more equitable sport, and it's one that's easier to stomach in terms of how it's structured, and it's only going to become more so as we get something resembling revenue sharing with TV money, which is where the real money is, and something resembling employment status, whether that's official or unofficial or whatever. But I think the era of outsourcing payments to players for a third party is I think it's th- those days are numbered in the sport. And, and if Miami didn't make it clear, Oklahoma state did. Yeah. You know, yeah. So. L- let me ask you this though. Is that a slippery slope taking, because right now boosters can donate to collectives and that money is then divvied to to players. Mm-hmm. If the boosters don't have to give to collectives to divvy the money to players in the future because they're getting employment status or whatever, I mean, what's to stop boosters from starting to hand out $100 hamburgers again? Well, I mean, it's just un- it's, it just wouldn't be necessary, right? Because you uh, could just give it to the school and say, hey, 
This is what I want the school to do. You can have employment agreements. You can have different agreements with guys. I mean, I, it just wouldn't be worth it because your best players are going to be well-paid. They're going to be well-compensated. I mean, it's the same reason why it's not a problem at the NFL level or at the NBA level. The money won't be quite as big. Like, the boosters are – like, talent acquisition is about to get even more expensive, more than likely. And so your boosters are already going to be stretched pretty thin. And so, you know, they'll have to figure something out. But, you know, it, it, the, 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 the upside and the cost, like, are you going to – when you're already making – you know, if you're a star player and you're making three hundred and fifty, four hundred thousand dollars a year, are you gonna are you going to jeopardize that for like a hundred dollar handshake? Probably not. Well but in the old days you, you would have if you're not making anything and hey, that means I can go take my girlfriend out for a steak dinner after the game that I couldn't afford otherwise. That's a pretty powerful motivator. And it's it's not when you're gonna be making six digits, you know, to risk all of that. Or seven. Even if it is <laughs> the the favorite line of the guy from Moonshiners. Tax free. Yeah, there's an element of that, I think. But I, then you're talking about literal uh, tax fraud. So that, yeah, I don't think anybody wants to mess with that. No. But I think, you know, it, it's, I think in general, like the, the amount of money that's floating around is a lot, but is also overestimated. Um, you know, part of this with the employment status and the future of college athletes, and speaking about going down another rabbit hole that we could talk about for about five hours if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, is the play like when you talk about Charlie Baker's plan or any sort of plan for the future, there has to be something resembling collective bargaining because the schools can agree to all this stuff, but nobody is like an advocating on the part of the players. And so I talked to Jim Cavale a while ago, and he is putting together uh, an athlete's organization and trying to get guys organized so they can have something resembling collective bargaining or at least players having some say we talk about a charlie baker plan it's difficult but it's definitely possible um but you have to have that if you're going to have some plan where you're talking about oh we're going to have you know a trust fund of thirty thousand dollars minimum for half of our athletes or all of this stuff ultimately the schools do not want like i said to have their player uh you know uh compensation outsourced to a third party that they have some control over but very loose control over and they don't see their books so that's a another complicated thing but you know the sport is it's going to some interesting places but i think certainly in whatever the next step is when you go into something resembling employment status something resembling it revenue sharing even if it's not called that there has to be something resembling collective bargaining where the players have some representation at the table and they say we like this plan we are okay with this plan and right now that is sorely missing. And every time you hear an administrator talk about it, it's like, well, the athletes don't want to be employees. Like, well, not all of them might be, but like the idea that they like would rather have this sort of weird system than collect real money from the schools in a much more simple way where everything's out in the open and they understand what they can get or can't get. I think most people would prefer that system. Um, but, you know, you listen to enough administrators long enough, you hear some pretty impressive lies. <laughs> <laughs> David Hogan of The Athletic joining us here. Do you have three or four more minutes? We weren't planning on taking sure. you to the top of the hour, but if you've got it, we won't. We don't need to take a break because we were going to talk about the portal anyway. Sure. And Talia Tungvaloa has entered the transfer portal, but doesn't have any eligibility left. Yeah, for how, now. How does that work? Well, so here's the I'm also thing. in the transfer portal. I would just like yes. to know. So there's some interesting questions said, about there's some interesting questions about what you can challenge in the courts and what you can't. And 
the eligibility restrictions are interesting because you're going to win everything if you go to the court, if you're limiting my NIL potential. And if you're Talia, who doesn't really have a huge NFL future, mm-hmm. you know, he played. So the, the case that they're trying to make is basically he paid five, he played five games his freshman year at Alabama. That was not legal then. So we use up a year, but it's legal now. That's what they're going to press on. Well, you can press on that, but your real case when you go to the courts is you're limiting my NIL earning competent, uh, 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 potential, and you are uh, clearly in violation of the Supreme Court precedent in the Alston case. That's what they're going to press on. Now, some school is going to have to take that chance and probably help out with some lawyers and all that stuff. I would not bet against Talia winning this case just because anytime the the NCAA goes to a court and tries to explain its rules or defend itself, the courts look at them like, what? <laughs> I mean, I joke about this all the time. Like college, I mean, joke about it because it's true. The college sports in a very divided political system is one of the, the one of the few things that they can unite both sides of the aisle on, is the that the whole system is broken because you have the left side of the aisle, really angry about workers' rights and you're exploiting these people. They're not letting their their earning potential. And then on the right side of the aisle, you're limiting a free market. There's no free market here. So you have united. Both sides against you. This is why you go to the Supreme Court with your case and you lose nine nothing because everyone sees it the same way of like, this doesn't make sense. It made some sense in the 80s. And then when you had the money exploding, it doesn't make sense anymore. So the Talia situation is very interesting. I would not bet against him winning another year of eligibility. And then the interesting question beyond that is how far can you stretch that? Yeah, because the NCAA is going to say, we gave it to him because he played five games, and he, you know, now it's okay to do it that way. And mm-hmm. that's what the NCAA is going to say to say to save from somebody else saying, "Well, as long as I'm <laughs> in school, I can play college football." Exactly. That's, that's sort years, of the question. Is I don't is. know that I don't know that anybody's going to challenge that, but somebody might try. And it's like if you're enrolled and you're actively pursuing a degree, why should and you're not in the NFL, you're not entering the draft, why should you be limited by? the eligibility restraints the NCAA has. It's an interesting question. And this is, again, this is why college sports, they've held on to the golden goose for so long with the, we're not going to share the TV money. We're not going to budge on NAL. We're not going to do all this. Well, now you've gone to courts and you've gotten your butt kicked in every single piece of litigation that's been out there. And now the courts are forcing you to do stuff that on its face is pretty stupid. Like, Oh, multiple transfers in one year. That doesn't really make sense, but you can't do anything about it because you haven't gotten to a place where you have an equitable system where both sides can agree. So the whole thing is very broken, but it's because they didn't want to cede any ground for decades, and the courts forced them to do it on the court's terms, which aren't necessarily great for anyone. Two things. One, Talia has to be at a school to pursue this, right? Presumably, I mean, yeah. Somebody's okay. gonna have to take a chance and say, "Well, we, we we're gonna take him in mm-hmm. and use a scholarship." And I guess we have to use air quotes on that. Use a scholarship on him and figure out. Well, we're gonna take a risk, but he's a really good college player. He's probably worth taking a risk on. Okay, and two, and it's gonna be Miami. This is right. a situation. <laughs> yeah. This is a situation, David, where again, if the NCAA had been a little bit more proactive at any point, we wouldn't yes. be here, right? Yes. I think eventually they would have gotten to maybe a different place, but it wouldn't have all been so fast and so forced by the courts. 
Um, they and just so they out never of control. Anything. Yes, I agree with that. Like all the portal stuff and the roster stuff, I don't think it's good for the sport necessarily, but they did it to themselves. Like, and you can't say, well, these kids can't be doing this. No, the kids should be able to do this because if mm-hmm. you're not going to pay them, you're not going to make them employees. You can't enforce all these non-compete clauses that you did for years. I mean, people forget we are not that long. This was like six, seven years ago that when a player transferred, not only did he have to sit out a year, but the coach would give him a list of schools like conference opponents, division opponents, and players you played in the or teams you're playing in the future that you cannot go to based on what? Just that was how it was. Their whim and that at is, that time. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It was just up to the coach's discretion. And like everybody knew at the time on the face, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> That's what it was. And now the courts have beaten you mission and gotten you to a place that doesn't make a lot of sense. It's it is absolutely insane the world that we live in. And 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 we could you you're right, we could talk for five hours, oh. but we're gonna let you go. And we appreciate your time that you did <laughs> take with us, David, and look forward to talking with you again soon. And of course, looking forward to Monday night. It's gonna be a really good football game. For sure. Thanks, guys. I'm taking Washington, so uh enjoy that. <laughs> oh, okay. I think I am too at this point. I don't know. It's crazy. All right. Thanks, David. See y'all. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Terry McCormick, Titans update right after this. Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Piggly Wiggly, located in Neely's Mill Shopping Center, is Columbia's locally owned and operated Cost Plus 10 grocery store dedicated to serving the community with low prices and smiling faces. 
Piggly Wiggly offers fresh, hand-cut meats daily as well as daily hot plate lunches from their deli counter. You're certain to see smiling faces and a helping hand when you're here at Piggly Wiggly. Come by and check out our fresh produce, high-quality meats, and more. Down home, down the street, we'll see you at the Pig. Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic service and our ortho quick walk-in clinic lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtvj.net. Welcome back here at Main Street Sports today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone & Joint. Chris Yalmo Patton, and it's time now for your Daily Titans update from Terry McCormick. What's up, Terry? How are you guys? It is your Daily Titans update, and it's powered, as always, by Zen Sports. Ryan Tannehill, going to get one last ride on Sunday, and he's going to be your starting quarterback. Uh, so it's going to be one last ride of Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry in the Titans' backfield together. So, uh I think that probably is a good idea on a couple of fronts. One, it gives them a chance to give Tannehill a thank you, the same way that the crowd is going to give Derrick Henry a big thank you on Sunday. And it keeps Will Levis out of harm's way from putting him in any further danger behind that terrible offensive line that's gotten him hurt twice. Yeah, I'm sure Ryan Tannehill appreciates getting <laughs> thrown behind. I mean – when you listen to that, when you listen to that rationale, Ryan Tannehill sitting there going, "But I'm, what about me?" Yeah, damn. <laughs> okay, you don't want to put well, him he, out there, but you don't mind putting me out there. Yeah, okay. his contract is up. He's been deemed expendable. Exactly. <laughs> Here's a question, Terry. Do you feel like because I've seen this kind of knocked around a little bit, and I don't know what the reality of it is and it's probably not very realistic. But do you think there's a scenario where this isn't Ryan Tannehill's last ride? That's a good question. I think, you know, that's one that only Ryan himself could probably answer. But, you know, I mean, I guess it would depend on how much he likes being here and how much he can accept the current situation that he would be in. Uh, in terms of being a number two quarterback, if he goes out into free agency and granted, he hasn't had a great year, hasn't been able to stay healthy for some of it. Not his fault. But, but there are some, you know, there are a couple of teams where he could go and at least have a chance, if not to be this outright starter to at least put himself back in a situation, maybe like he was when he first came here, where, He's he he's the backup, but there's a chance to unseat the starter, maybe like the Atlanta Falcons, you know, somewhere like that where they've, you know, bounced back and forth between Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke with uh, not a lot of success from either one. So if Arthur Smith survives, I could see him wanting to go there. The other thing with Ryan is I don't know, given, you know, what he said a couple of times, I don't know that he is the type of guy that wants to be like, you know, in, you know, some guys like an Andy Dalton and just collect checks to, to hold a clipboard and wear the headset. You know, Dalton's kind of made a second career that same way Blaine Gabbert's done, uh, the same way Tyrod Taylor has done, where you play when you're called upon, otherwise you're the mentor. 
I don't know if, if Ryan's interest lies in that area or not. I mean, you're talking about a guy who went out and got his pilot's license last summer for crying out loud. He's got young kids. He's made plenty of money. It, it wouldn't shock me to see him just walk away altogether and say, I've had enough. Look, that's that's certainly an option for him, and and it certainly makes sense. Wouldn't wouldn't be surprised if that's what happens, and certainly would not even blame him if that were the case. And so, you know, and, but competitors are competitors, hmm. and that's why and, and you don't get to the NFL and you don't last this long in the NFL not being one. And and that's why so, I don't think he's a Tennessee Titan next year for one. Because if he's if he's gonna be in the NFL, he wants to compete for the job. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, I think you're. Go ahead. No, Terry. What are we hearing out of Jacksonville with regard to the quarterback situation? There is C.J. Beathard going to get a start at home Sunday. Possible. It's possible. They've called Trevor Lawrence a game-time decision is what the people out of Jacksonville are saying. So that decision may run all the way up to an hour and a half before kickoff. Uh, interesting because, I mean, this game means everything to the Jaguars because, I mean, there's still a scenario where they could lose and still back into the playoffs. But all things considered, they would rather win, sew up the AFC South for a second straight year, and have a home game down there. They don't want the uh, Texans or the Colts sliding in and taking that uh, division title away from them if they can help it. Yeah, but boy, wouldn't that be some sweet revenge after last year? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Among other things, after last year, after this year, yeah. I mean, if the Titans could somehow knock them off and and – upset their apple cart, that'd be mm -hmm, so much the better. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's really, other than pride, about the only thing the Titans have left to play for on Sunday. Well, and so, you know, when you look at it from that perspective, you know, it doesn't atone for what happened last year, but it certainly would be a little bit of uh, payback. Well, and that's why it's a win-win situation. If you win – you likely keep the Jags out of the playoffs. You certainly keep them from getting a home game. If you lose, you're at worst the fifth pick in the draft. Of course. And I believe it was said that the Titans can be no worse than number eight, even if they no do. No matter what. Right. So in that scenario, if you're going to be picking somewhere between five and eight, you're probably going to get the same type of quality player in there. So, you know, the only thing that I would be worried about is that both the left tackle prospects might be off the board if you're picking at seven or eight. And one of them, at least, would probably be there at number five. Yeah, that's, that's, that's I think, the big, the big key. Neither Marvin Harrison Jr. nor uh, Alt or Bashanu, I can't remember his yes. name. Is going to be You'd there. like one of those three to be there, and if not, uh, you know, I think you have to entertain Brock Bowers of the uh, Georgia Bulldogs. Gosh. You know, tight end is not necessarily a big need position, but if you can add a guy with that type of potential, I mean, think about if he becomes a George Kittle, Gronkowski, Laporta type of tight end that uh, is all the rage, Travis Kelsey, you know, all the rage around the NFL right now. And, and in this offensive style, that could be huge. 
So, I, yeah, absolutely. I saw somebody's mock that had the Titans taking receiver, receiver with their first two picks. And mm, I'm like, that ain't happening. I don't know what you're smoking, but that ain't happening. So. I think they need to draft at least one receiver that can play right away. But uh, it's a good free agent class of receivers. Michael Pittman, Mike Evans, Calvin Ridley. Uh, uh, I'm missing one that I can't, that I can't recall right now. Restricted, but You know, there are a lot of good free agent receivers out there that could really help this roster. Oh, it's T. Higgins, who is a Tennessee native. <laughs> He's restricted, though. No, T is unrestricted, I believe. I I don't know if oh I'm sorry he may be understood they can franchise him though yeah they can that's possible him. that's what it was <laughs> and but here's the thing do we want T Higgins he's out by the way is he he's out this week in week 18 when they, his team needs him the most for a playoff spot well they're the Bengals are eliminated though so it doesn't really matter are they oh okay I thought I thought they yes, could win they've been them. eliminated. Well, they were eliminated go. with the loss last week. Well, then, of course, he came up with a sore hamstring. He's oh. protecting himself from free agency. <laughs> free agency. Because, <laughs> look, the way, I look, the way I look at this receiving core right now, you got DeAndre Hopkins, and you need to go find two guys. I can't count on Traylon Burks, and I can't count on Kyle Phillips to help me because they can't stay healthy and they haven't produced enough when they've been on the field. Is that fair? Still got NWI, baby. He's a free agent. Oh, okay. My bad. So is Chris Moore. And then another guy that I would think about bringing back to Middle Tennessee, what about Jawan Jennings? Yes, please. Good he luck is. getting him out of San Francisco, man. They love him. They do, but he's also from Murfreesboro. Oh, I and uh, I think the Titans GM may have a little bit of ties to Mr. Jennings as well. You don't have to tell me anything about Juwan <laughs> Jennings. Thank you very much. Um, his oh, I know you know all about him. Yeah. So I mean, but yeah, let's let's go get him. I I have no problem with it. So Just, we'll, Justin is saying in the chat that you need to go and recruit him. Yes, he is. You need to send Juwan a text as soon as the 49ers season is over. Well, hopefully his dad <laughs> is watching the show. So we'll see how that goes. But um, Terry. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Zen Sports. Gladly. It's a new sports betting app exclusively in Tennessee the last few months, and I'm excited to share with you some big news. Now, when you sign up for a Zen Sports account, you will receive up to a $1,000 no-danger first wager. That's right. When you place your first bet in Zen Sports with up to plus 500 odds, you can be reimbursed for the amount of your bet up to a $1,000 maximum within 24 hours if the bet loses. And there's more good news. Zen Sports is rolling out its brand new VIP rewards program. This new VIP rewards program will allow top-tier customers to earn more bonuses, comps, and perks. The VIP program is by invite only, so if you feel your Zen Sports play qualifies for VIP consideration, please check out the program details and apply at zensports.com slash VIP. No other sportsbook will offer you a premier sports betting experience with 24-7 top-tier customer support and faster withdrawals than Zen Sports. So what are you waiting for? Get going and download their app at zensports.com today. Zen Sports, betting just got better. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-889-9789. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 and older and in Tennessee to bet.
Since 1975, Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint Clinic has treated the orthopedic needs of Middle Tennessee residents. The trained physicians provide surgical options and minimally invasive options to treat all orthopedic needs. The walk-in clinic, OrthoQuick, helps you bypass the ER while treating sports injuries and acute needs Monday through Saturday. Visit MTBJ online at mtbj.net or on social media at Mid-Tennessee Bone Joint Clinic. Smiles. These are the healthy smiles of real Delta Dental members. Folks with access to the nation's largest network of dentists and low deductible plans with 100% preventive care coverage, all backed by over 65 years of expertise. Go online or give us a call to learn about affordable individual plans that meet your needs. 1-855-844-0445. This holiday season, the largest lantern festival in the country returns to Nashville Zoo. Witness more than 1,000 handcrafted Chinese lanterns featuring brand new designs, including towering mythical beasts, a life-sized Santa's workshop, and a 100-foot-long dragon. Welcome back to Zoo Illumination at Nashville Zoo. Bigger, brighter, and better than ever. It's Friday. We got new. We got new music. That, that, that's that's funky. That's what we like. It's Main Street Sports today. Maybe maybe that's the new Friday. Maybe it's Funky Friday. Play that to, funky music. <laughs> and, and, Jk. And look, hey, um, that that may be the new Friday thing. Funky play, Friday. Play funky music. <laughs> and talk about funky topics and, and who knows. But uh, this next topic is <clears throat> not funky. It's just getting ready to get started as the SEC basketball schedule commences this weekend. I don't know, man. You mentioned that Ole Miss Tennessee game during the rundown. That's that's threatening to be pretty funky right there. Ole Miss coming in undefeated at 13 and 0, Tennessee at 10 and 3 at the basketball facility on campus at the University of Tennessee. And joining us to talk a little SEC basketball is Southeastern 14's Blake Lovell. Good afternoon, sir. Hello, guys. Yeah, it's uh, SEC play is here. Now it's time to find out who's actually pretty good. So um, <laughs> we'll find out, won't we? So. Well, I would think we will. And as you look at tomorrow's slate of conference openers, is there one that catches your eye more so than Ole Miss and fifth-ranked Tennessee? You know, I think the way this thing set up was actually great to, off of what we just said to try to really find out who's good um, because, you know, you've got a lot of scenarios here where you've got an Ole Miss heading to a Tennessee. Ole Miss has something to prove. People are still doubting them. They're undefeated. They're number 22 in the country now. Um, but there's still a lot of people who think that it's, okay, kind of based on maybe part of the schedule and all that. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got 
you've got South Carolina hosting Mississippi State. South Carolina's a team that a lot of people are not sure. They're 12 and 1, haven't played the best schedule. Um, but they host a Mississippi State team that's really, as always, like they're just hard to play against. So that's a tough first game for South Carolina. But if they win it, they play well, that proves something to you. Florida playing maybe as well as anybody uh, in recent weeks. They're on kind of a hot streak here. And they host Kentucky with a chance to sort of prove themselves. Um, you know, even Arkansas, right? Like Arkansas has got a lot to prove hosting Auburn. So, I mean, honestly, this is a much better opening day slate than I would have expected based on the matchups. Um, and it's probably for different reasons because of how well Ole Miss has played, how well South Carolina's played. Um, you know, the, the trending upward of a Florida Auburn looks like the third best team in the league right now to me. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting games on the slate. But Tennessee Ole Miss, Florida, Kentucky, probably the two that they get the most attention, but even Arkansas Auburn has a lot at stake. So Ole Miss took some heat, obviously, when they hired Chris Beard. I think when Yao and I discussed it, I said, heck, somebody's going to hire him. Might as well be Ole Miss. I mean, and, you know, you can't argue with the results to this point. I mean, for what they had on their roster coming into the season, what what has Ole Miss done relative to your expectations to this point? Yeah, I mean, I said this summer, and, and we were probably higher on Ole Miss than most people were, said if they have their full roster, which included – Musa Cisse and Brandon Murray, who were the two-time transfers. We didn't know if they were going to get eligible. Cisse got eligible before Murray did. Now with the whole two-time transfer business and all that, Murray's playing. Um, I said if they had their full roster, I could see them as a top-five team in the SEC. And it was the my answer was very simple. It's Chris Beard because he's done it everywhere. He's I mean he's won everywhere, and this is not you know what 20 years ago right where it's you have to wait three years. Year three was always the thing. Let's see what happens in year three. Just it doesn't work that way anymore. You can do it in one off season. And he's brought in, you know, he brought in the size with Cisse and Jamarian Sharp, seven foot, seven five. He brought in a score in Brandon Murray. He brought in another score in Alan Flanagan, who's now fully healthy. But then you bring back two all SEC guys in Matthew Morell, Jamin Brakefield. If you just start there, like that's a that's a pretty good group that's gonna be competitive in the SEC. Um, but they've got other guys who are stepping up, whether it's Murray, um, you know, Caldwell, all those guys. And so do I think they're going to wind up being a top 10 three-point shooting team in the country? Probably not, but they are right now. And that's been a big help because, you know, again, I, I know in Kermit's era there, injuries played a big role. I think just, you know, they, they always had bad luck with injuries. They couldn't seemingly ever get their full roster on, but offensively it just felt like they were they were limited like they never kind of packed that extra punch and now they flipped that in one off season to where they're a pretty good offensive team and i think that's been the difference well they are good offensively particularly from behind the arc eighth in the country in three point percentage and that will certainly help you win some games but it will also help you lose some games mm. if you're not if you have a night where you're not very uh, good at it by the three and, and you can die three. by it and yeah. but there are two things that they do really really well one is shoot the basketball from behind the arc they're fourth the eighth in the country yeah i think and then uh fourth nationally in blocking shots with two seven foot guys <laughs> underneath 
those two things are interesting against Tennessee, particularly because Tennessee doesn't have a lot of size in, in the paint. And Tennessee really wants to put pressure on shooters and, and challenge shots. But as you saw at North Carolina, if you get hot from behind the arc and you move the ball well, you can blow this team out. So Tennessee is going to have to be on its on its you know p's and q's come Saturday to take down Ole Miss. This is going to be a really good basketball game. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, when we previewed this game, there were people saying, "Hey, why why is this spread maybe higher than you would think?" and just outside the the computers and all that. But my reason was exactly what you just said. If you look at Ole Miss, they're in the top ten nationally in three point shooting. But if you dive a little bit deeper and look at who they've made threes against. Only one of those teams in Memphis, they've hit double-digit threes in, I think, five games this year. Memphis was one of those. They went 11-22. So a good shooting night against a Memphis team that's pretty good defensively on the perimeter. They're in the top 100. Everybody else is, like, outside the top 275 in terms of their three-point field goal defense. So they did it against teams that don't necessarily guard you great on the perimeter. <laughs> What's Tennessee going to do? And not much pressure, right? particularly in an environment like TBA yes. and FCC. Well, Tennessee and, is going to make you start your offense like one foot past half court. They're going to yep. be guarding you then, and you better try to figure out. And, and I don't know why this is the game I always come back to. I think about the Alabama game last year um, with Tennessee and Knoxville. And mm-hmm. I felt like watching that game, Alabama started their offense 40 feet out every single time, and they were just all mixed up. They didn't know what to do. I think there are similar challenges for Ole Miss here in that they've not played a team like this in terms of like the pressure they're going to face defensively on the perimeter. And I think that's where Tennessee, if they take that away, I just don't know how well Ole Miss does offensively here. Yeah. And finally, Blake, I think three point shooting of all the things that you ask to travel in basketball, I would think that is the least reliable. Which is why I always come back to Tennessee, like, because it's it's a team that, and uh, this is a bigger part of the discussion, but it's like someone asked us yesterday, you know, if you're if you're betting the house on one team to win the SEC, my answer was very simple. How could it not be Tennessee? Because they do the one thing that's going to travel. Is Tennessee still, even as a team that has improved, I think, significantly on the offensive end, thanks to Dalton Connect. Are they still going to have stretches in SEC play where they go five minutes without scoring? Probably. It's just, I mean, it just happens. It's it's in their DNA. But, right, the the equalizer is they're also one of the very few teams, and really Mississippi State, maybe the other team, where they're going to hold their opponent probably at some point in that game to going five minutes without scoring two. And so that kind of all equals out. And that's why I think that, yes, like the three-point shooting – you worry about that traveling, being consistent, and that's where when you look at the teams that are going to rely on that, um, yeah, it's harder to trust them. And that's why, again, I go back to Tennessee, who is so much better offensively now, and they're one of the best defensive teams in the country, if not the best. I'll I'll bank on that team in most games. Blake Lovell of Southeastern 14 joining us here on Main Street Sports Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint. Yeah. You mentioned this Mississippi State, South Carolina game, and you know South Carolina had their struggles last year under first-year coach and former Tennessee Chattanooga coach Lamont Paris. 
<clears throat> what have they done differently to get off to this 12 and one star? Where I feel like this whole conversation relies around one common theme. And that is the three point shot. Um, because South Carolina was just a horrible offensive team last year, as we know. I mean, they were just so up and down. They couldn't stop anybody either. But um, they went out, they got shooting, and they have, you know, they're close to the top 100 in the country in three point shooting, shooting about 35%, which is all we say. You're shooting 35% in the SEC most years. That is like shooting 45% because this is just a league that traditionally is usually ranking in the bottom five nationally in three-point percentage as a conference, um, which I think defense plays a role in that too. But yeah, so that they've made a lot more threes. And we talk about the dangers of that when you play against a Mississippi State team. It's kind of a similar setup to Ole Miss and Tennessee, except South Carolina's at home. Mm-hmm. Is South Carolina's getting 35% of their points from three. That is in the top 60 nationally. They don't get a lot of points from inside the arc. They don't get a lot of points at the free throw line. They're getting a big chunk from the three-point line. And so now you play Mississippi State team, very similar to Tennessee. They're going to push you out. They're going to be physical. They're in the top five nationally in three-point defense. So this is is a great test for South Carolina in game one because if they want to kind of, you know, quiet the naysayers a little bit, matchup-wise, this would be a significant win for South Carolina because I think Mississippi State is just a terrible matchup for them. Um, and so their big four, Miles Studi, Michi, Michi Johnson, BJ Mack, Talon Cooper, those guys have been gamers for them so far. The chemistry's been there. I think they're good enough to keep this thing going, but you want to talk about a contrast in the first two games of styles that they're going to play host Mississippi state at Alabama. <laughs> you know, if you're not, if you're not on offensively, you're going to get beaten both those games and it may not look pretty. So Blake, you know, as an overall conference, you know, only four teams ranked in the Associated Press poll. I, I've consistently lost respect for the Associated Press poll in both football and basketball pretty quickly over the last couple of years. And, but I, I don't necessarily want to fully rely on computers. That being said, the SEC has five teams in the top 25 net and eight in the top 50, and both of those are tied for the most in the country for a conference. What is the level of conference play in the SEC, and is it enough to really push for, you know, six, seven bids and come tournament time? I, I think it is. Um, without trying to jinx it, I, I think that I would say this year more than any year that I can remember when it, whenever the SEC had set their own record for eight, that was several years ago. I think this is the year they have the best chance to break that and get to nine. Um, I don't, and and I think it's because of what you said though. And and we, I'm with you. I don't rely on the AP poll in any way, shape or form. I don't just rely on the computers. I hate the net rankings. Um, but the computers love the SEC. And so, you know, we know the committee factors all that stuff in. And yes, like by nature of teams playing each other, teams are going to lose games. But if you really think about it, like the computers have loved the SEC in recent years, too. And we've seen two SEC teams, I think, break the record over the past five or six seasons for getting in with the most losses. And that's been Alabama and Vanderbilt. And I think just now, when you look at it this year, the league is stronger than it was probably those two years. Because realistically, I don't remember the last time 
that you probably could have legitimately went into conference play and felt like, as of right now, Arkansas would be the team on the outside looking in, which is wild to think about, because South Carolina and Ole Miss would be in right now. Now, do they fall off? One of them is going to fall off, I think. And I think South Carolina is probably the better bet on that. But realistically, you could say that there are 10 teams that think they have a great shot to make the tournament right now. Um, And I think they've proven that they have what it takes to get there. So I feel like, you know, again, it's I don't love the computers either sometimes, but it's like there has been so much love for the SEC to this point. And outside of those first couple weeks, which we remember teams were dropping bad games left and right, um, it's gotten a lot better. And you've seen teams, even if they've lost to good competition, Alabama's lost five games. The computers still think Alabama's the top five team in the country. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, and it's because they played such a tough schedule. They played a lot of close games. And so I think if you look at it that way, you know, we're so far removed now from the era where it's like, if you lose a game, it's like, oh no, that's, I mean, Kentucky lost to Wilmington. And I think the computers are knocking Kentucky because they lost to Wilmington without one of their best players. You know, it's like Kentucky, I think has the fourth or fifth best odds, best odds to win the SEC right now. What are we doing here? If Kentucky <laughs> yeah. has the fourth or fifth best odds to win the SEC, that tells me all I need to know. Um, I'd go bet. I'm not a professional better. I'd go bet Kentucky every single day, as long as they stay as the number four, or number five team in those odds. So I think this is the strongest the league has been probably since 2019, which was the year you had, I want to say it was either five or six teams were, you know, top five seeds that year. Plus you had a couple teams that were eight, nine, 10. Um, so I think it's a, it's a really strong league. Thanks to the ascent of a South Carolina Ole Miss teams like that. Chris, you ask how many they can get in. Your favorite bracketologist, Joe Lenardi, earlier this week, had nine SEC teams in. Well, so, but but again, he's got Ole Miss and South Carolina in, I'm sure. And again, that's not necessarily – we don't think that's going to play out the whole season. That being said, there's always a team that comes from out of the bracket – into, into the, the bracket, bracket. Yep. and so I'm sure that could. Yeah. I, Look, I think I, Arkansas makes it. I mean, that's sure. the thing, right? I yeah, mean, and he I, doesn't I, have Arkansas in. exactly. So it's like, I mean, I find it hard to believe Arkansas won't turn this thing around because they do it every single year, mm-hmm. and so they're they're going to replace somebody. Like the SEC is not going to get ten in, but they're going to replace one of these teams. And again, the best bet and, I think will be South Carolina. But and Duke is going to factor in, yeah, at some point in that discussion. Yeah. So here you go, man. This it's going to be a really intriguing SEC basketball season. You know, I I, I skim through the update we get from Craig every week, and <laughs> a lot of it's the same stuff. But you know, there are some really intriguing points in this that it, it really goes to show the strength of the SEC in, in the country. Uh, you know, because we talked about football being. It felt like everybody was just mid all year long. (laughs) And so, but basketball kind of lends itself to that. But it really does feel like there are 15 or 20 teams that are just really, really good this year. And when you see them play one another, it's it's always a, a lot of fun to watch at that top level. SEC probably has three of those, and Kentucky's one of them. I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. That's the thing is if, <laughs> I, I think legitimately right now, 
you know, again, I, I, I wish I was a little more bold on Arkansas, but they just they have done their laps a little bit earlier this year, and so I'm not as willing to think they're going to turn it around completely. But I think you can make the case that there are at least five teams that can win the conference, and I don't <laughs> think we've been able to say that since probably 2019. Like, legitimately, we, we can say, okay, maybe this team can do it, maybe this team, but I think from a legitimate standpoint, and maybe 2022, I guess, was the other one. You had, like, four teams, I think, that won 26 or more games that year. I want to say that was Tennessee, Auburn, Kentucky, Arkansas. Um, but I think you've got five teams, probably at least, that, that could win this thing this year. So. And that's A&M, Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama. I would still put Alabama in there because – Well, I, I would too. That's why I just wanted to make sure yeah. you had Alabama in there. I yeah. had them in. I didn't yeah. know if you did. And I don't know that I do, but – Well, they shoot the ball so well, though. That's the thing. You never but, know what you're going to get. But if they're on, you didn't they're going to win. You didn't mention Auburn. So I, that's, that was the last team I said. Oh, okay. yeah. I, yeah. I assume Auburn is the fifth team. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> the thing – and I know, like, Alabama we could talk about for an hour, but it's like – I look at a team like that and I am just thinking because I feel like there are quite a few SEC teams that their offensive numbers look great right now, but we see this every year. They look great now, but they start to backtrack a little bit when you're not playing the 300 ranked team in the country. Um, Alabama, I don't think it's going backwards offensively. I mean, they've done it against one of the toughest schedules in the country. They've been putting up 80 plus points consistently. Um, I think they're outscoring the second best team in the country by a full like two points or something. And I just think they're going to go outscore teams. Their defense is not good, but don't matter if you're winning 95, 93, you're still winning. And so I think they're going to do that to a lot of teams in the SEC this year. So. It's going to be, this is going to be one of the more fun SEC basketball schedules that we see throughout the year looking forward to it of course saturday again cbs at noon mississippi state south carolina followed up on espn 12 30 with kentucky at florida which will be a very good basketball game i don't uh, it's going to be fun to watch uh, auburn arkansas on espn 2 uh, Ole miss tennessee again at six o'clock on sec network right after alan my vanderbilt at 3 30 so and then the nightcap lsu texas a&m that has sneaky good potential too yeah, LSU is LSU is better now that they have what I think is their best player in Jalen Cook, who was out again waiting for the waiver. And now that he's playing, he's played the last three games. Like he's played, I think, what twenty eight or more minutes in every game. They're much better offensively. So that's the thing. It's like I hate to say this, but I think there's only one team in the SEC right now that feels like it is just way behind the pack. And without even saying it, I think we know who that is. I even think an LSU is not a bad team and could find their way maybe into that top 10 somewhere, potentially. Yeah. It's going to be a lot of fun. Blake, as always, we appreciate it. Make sure to follow Blake at the Blake Global on X Twitter and, of course, all of his work with southeastern14.com. Blake, as always, we appreciate it, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Blake. Take a break. When we come back, we've got some – Money, 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 money to talk about at the NCAA and college football playoff level. We'll get back to it right after this. Stick around.
Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint treats your orthopedic injuries and existing conditions. Our trained physicians will get you back in the game faster. Contact us at 931-381-2663 or www.mtbj.net. With Lee Company Technology, the best handymen are hands-off. Lee Company Techs have been using visual findings and other smart technology tools for years to add transparency and virtually take customers along. You see what we see, whether we're in a crawl space or on a roof. With Lee Company, technology helps us help you, no matter what's happening in the world or at your house. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods here in Columbia has been outfitting teams, officials, and anybody else from T-ball to college for 50 plus years. Be sure and check them out at 931-388-8060 or online at jonesandlang.com. Jones and Lang Sporting Goods, the look of a winner. Zion Christian Academy, zioneagles.org or 931-388-5731. You can schedule your appointment. Go toward their campus. It is beautiful over there and you're definitely going to want to see it. Again, it's zioneagles.org. Give them a call, 931-388-5731 and schedule your tour today. Custom Stone Handler supplies over 600 distributors and suppliers with quality stone products. Along with River Stone, we produce and distribute over 100 building, landscape, and other bulk products. Our goal is to provide quality products, service, and partnerships to ensure our customers' success. We firmly believe that the measure of any person or company is how they treat other people and customers. Give them a call at 931-490-4990 or visit customstonehandlers.com. A game without a crowd is just a scrimmage. A performance without an audience is just a rehearsal. Without your presence, high school sports and the performing arts aren't possible. Ensure that these essential extracurricular activities continue to enrich the lives of students in Tennessee. Purchase a ticket to your local high school's game or performance. This message presented by the TSSAA. Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint has been the official sports medicine provider for Murray County Schools for more than 40 years. We specialize in orthopedic service and our ortho quick walk-in clinic lets you bypass the ER. Visit us online at www.mtbj.net. Today, presented by Mid-Tennessee Bone and Joint, Chris Yao, Mo Patton here on this funky Friday. <laughs> sure. As we're getting ready for the weekend, and Mo, this came out yesterday while we were in the middle of tours and whatnot, mm-hmm. and getting ready for a remote, so we didn't get a chance to look into it much, but the NCAA... An ESPN inked an eight-year deal worth $920 million for 40 of their championships, including women's basketball, that, according to front office sports, is uh, valued at $65 million annually. There are some folks who will tell you that if that's the case, then tournament units need to start making their way back to schools. (laughs) And I don't disagree. Um, Well, I mean, otherwise, where's the money going? Where do you think? In Baker's pocket, right? That's what everybody will tell you. 
it's not right, but that's what everybody will tell you. <laughs> I mean, oh, they're lining their pockets over there at the NCAA. That's not true. I don't know where it's going, but on September 1st, it will pay out an average of $115 million per year with women's basketball making up 65% of that number, or 65 million of that number. And I mean, I, obviously, the NCAA has to pay certain things out of it. They have to pay for travel. They have to pay for, you know, all the things that go along with that. Mm -hmm. But not as much as the men's tournament because host schools host the first two rounds, and you know, and there's a lot. There's a lot of things that they do to. So there's less. There's fewer teams traveling. And there's less travel because of the way they typically try to regionalize yep. to some degree the tournament. So I think it's interesting. Um, this would be a a situation where the uh, it's triple the price of the current package according to front office sports, which averages thirty four million a year for twenty nine championships. Uh, and hopefully, according to this, according to EVP and head of Americas for Media at IMG, Hillary Mandel, says the reason it wasn't a renewal, it's a reset, she called it, is because it will help rectify many of the NCAA's longstanding gender inequities. It's interesting that that is being said because. I think that's the issue that a lot of women's basketball folks in particular have with this new agreement because I'm looking at an AP story from yesterday that says um, after being criticized for inequitable resources and facilities at the 2021 men's and women's basketball tournaments, the NCAA commissioned a law firm to do an outside review of gender equity <clears throat> among the numerous recommendations in the resultant report was to consider unbundling the women's basketball tournament from the rest of the championships that report included an estimate that the women's tournament could be worth between 81 and 112 million annually so when this package comes back with the women's tournament drawing 65 million annually, I guess that's where some of the questioning comes from. But well, and that is because the report stated that if pulled out, it could get anywhere from 81 to 112 million a year by itself. Mm -hmm. Maybe. I mean, depending on if there was any competition, does Fox want to deal with that? And it be the only thing they do? Does Turner? Because Turner's kind of full. They got the men's tournament. It's it's they're a little busy. And I, I mean. 
ESPN is kind of the the only real option here. It's interesting. Somebody says, we thought there were a lot of flaws in that report. We think that every media part, partner we've ever spoken to thought that when it came out. Um, well, yeah, they did some, because, because it cost the media partners more money. Of course some, they thought it was wrong. Some of these numbers people were talking about were not realistic. They just weren't. And that may be true because there was no competition. There would be no competition. I just, I, I get, though, where people might be a little bothered by, you know, the fact that the NCAA is just so willing to accept that. Okay, so those numbers were wrong. I mean, I then, then why, did we, why did we commission the report? You know, if, if, if we're not going to, you know, trust the report and we're willing to devalue women's basketball by at least 16 million a year. Or women's basketball is now getting nearly double what the entire championship portfolio was paying out last year. They were the whole 29 championships was 34 million. Women's basketball is now getting 65 million. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, well, this is more like what you would say. But, this is yeah. what we call a a negotiation that ends in a compromise. But I mean, if 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 I tell you, okay, you were getting 34 million last year you're going to get 65 million this year but you're leaving 20 percent of what you could be getting on the table you're, you're cool with that based on what the, the study yeah but not not based on conversations with the media partners which is what the ncaa is telling you mm -hmm. well because I, I in case you you know in case you guys don't know Media partners are the ones paying it. If ESPN said no to 81, and then you end up like the Pac-12, who can't get a partner other than Apple TV, and it's based on how many people subscribe, and it ends up being 12 million, well, you've left 42 million on the table. Yeah. Compromise is where everybody gets hurt a little bit. Everybody's got to take a little bit. And if it's and if it's increasing everybody, including women's softball, gymnastics, uh, I don't remember everybody else uh, yeah, in here. But all of those. Volleyball. If it includes getting their numbers up substantially as well, then I think you've got to take you got to take the $40 million raise. <laughs> you got to take. Whether or not there's $16 million left out there, you got to take the $40 million raise. Yeah. Man, that's tough. <laughs> it's really hard to say no to $40 million. Is 16 Ooh. left or not? Yeah. yeah. It is. It and, is. And it's, and, and it's not. And again, you have to remember that it's not just because how much is – how much is volleyball, gymnastics, and FCS football worth by themselves, or collectively, even without women's basketball? Because the only other the only other thing that is real in this money is softball. 
Mm-hmm. Women's basketball and softball in these 40 championships, you can name all 40 of them, and there's water polo, equestrian, whatever. None of them are coming close to women's basketball and softball. No. Tennis, track and field, men's gymnastics, women's division one, I'm sorry, women's division two and three volleyball and basketball championships, men's division two and three basketball championships. Wait, so you're telling me that volleyball has its own media package? Um, this just includes, I guess is, volleyball is already in there. Okay. So these are the added mm-hmm. 11. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. Yeah. All right. I was like, wait a minute. You just, <laughs> you're telling me <laughs> the division one basketball or volleyball was on a part. They, they no. just, it was. It so was. those were the added 11. Okay. Because mm-hmm. there were 29. Now there are 40 and the deal's triple. So you only added, you only added about a third sports and you got, triple the money. Yeah. I feel like that's a good deal no matter how you slice it. The deal guarantees national championship events in the E1 women's basketball, women's volleyball, women's gymnastics, and FCS will be aired on ABC, though it does not guarantee any start times. That's interesting. No. Well, I mean... I- I don't know if anybody's going to be sitting there at the house like they are watching four men's games at 10 o'clock every day. Yeah. Maybe they are. There are some people who will. Mm-hmm. There, there are definitely some people who will. Um, ESPN will also air selection shows for at least 10 championships right. on its linear networks. We had lots of conversations with lots of third parties and lots of interested parties, but we stayed with ESPN as long as they continue to make progress on the deal. I do believe this was the best deal that was available, said Charlie Baker. Well, if it's not the best deal available, then you're an idiot. You can't be, listen. I mean, what else are you going to say? Loyalty, loyalty is, is, it's, it's useless. Mm Mm-hmm. In, in this day and age in college athletics. And and that's not necessarily a bad thing because loyalty from either side is rarely um, celebrated or valued at any point. Mm-hmm. So you got to do what's best for your entity. And if he did that, and that's where we're at, right. then great. Yeah. But if Fox was willing to pay $81 million for women's basketball and you said no because now you've got 28 championships or 39, either mm-hmm. one, and you're only going to get $34 million for those, well, then you did a disservice to the women's basketball. Mm-hmm. But you also probably did a disservice to 39 other sports. And so the NCAA, again, is a collective. They are not there for women's basketball or men's basketball Mm -hmm. or FCS football. They they, they have to be there for everybody. And that's why it it kind of is what it is in this deal. Triple the money, take it (laughs) every time. All right. As we look ahead to college football playoff championship, Mo, 
SMU losers of the Fenway Bowl to Boston College, six and six Boston College, moving to the ACC. No, I'm not throwing shade at the AAC champion. Not at all. <laughs> That's not me. I would never. You would never. I would never point out that the AAC champion lost to a six and six team from the ACC while they're trying to make it a big deal that Liberty lost to Oregon, <laughs> one of the top four teams in the country. But hey, you know, whatever. Anyway, inside, this is from Ross Dellinger at Yahoo Sports. Mm -hmm. Inside a hotel boardroom Monday, before the championship game, the college football playoff is expected to meet and approve format changes, which will go from the six and six to five and seven model. The power four conferences plus the G5 rep and seven at large members. But they're also potentially talking about uh, the money that will be paid to former group of five schools who moved to power conferences, such as Southern Methodist University, the latest. And basically said you have to have a unanimous vote to alter revenue distribution and diminish somebody else's revenue. That's it, said Greg Sankey. SEC commissioner. So you're going to need 11 members of the college football playoff board to make changes to the revenue distribution. What's on the table is not paying for a certain amount of time, whatever, I, I don't mm -hmm. know what that time is. The G5 schools that move to power conferences. For the next two years, the school could be out $6 million SMU. That effect, officials expected to receive includes $1 million in CFP share from the group of five, as that too is at stake. Currently, the college football playoff distributes $460 million, but then $6 million to SMU is going to be a problem. Well, now, if there's a school who can accept not getting $6 million, it's, probably SMU. it's SMU. That being said, that's not a good reason not to give them their money. I mean, what, what did the man say? I won. Give me my money. Mm -hmm. And college football playoff is all Debo. You what? <laughs> man, I lost. <laughs> I mean, like, this is this is absurd because you're you're asking these teams to basic you basically what the college football playoff is doing is saying. No more realignment. We're done. Yeah. You're done. Where you are is where you are. And if you move, it, it's going to cost you. Because here's and, – and what does this do for Oregon State and Washington State? That's the real question. Mm. Because how do they rebuild the Pac-2 into a 8, 10, or 12-team conference without – so without realignment, without some sort of realignment, yeah. And but does the college football playoff accept the new PAC conference as a power conference? Probably not. So therefore, it wouldn't change. But is the PAC two getting the full college football playoff payout? I don't think so. Likely not. That eleven member board is probably going to say no on Monday. Mm -hmm. But they got to get something. 
because they are technically an NCAA conference until for two more years. A two-team conference, but a conference nonetheless. They don't get any. They don't get any bids automatically to anything. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Sorry, but they have to get some money, and I don't know how much that is. It's going to be really interesting. So, Ross Dellinger says it's a um, <coughs> goodness. I cannot get that out of my throat. Says if the college football playoff does, does deny SMU's power by funding, the association sets a moratorium on additional revenue for those schools, elevating from Group of Five to Power Five, which Power Four, of course, a policy likely to even span into the new CFP contract starting in 2026. It's another sign college leaders are attempting to redistrict Division One's highest body from further expansion. Sorry, Delaware. You're the last one. Well, congratulations, Delaware. Yeah, they're the last ones at, <laughs> at five mil. Make sure to turn out the lights. Yep, everybody else is kind of locked in. I don't know how much I like this. I don't. I mean, it just seems overly restrictive. It's like... We don't want to play with you guys, which it's basically it. We don't want to play with you guys. Y'all go over there to the kitty table. I'm not okay with that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll continue this discussion probably on Monday. We'll also give our picks for the college football championship. So, yeah, David, I've been going with the Huskies, yeah. by the way. I I can see it. I understand why he would say that. It's it's been weighing on my mind pretty mm-hmm. heavily. So, anyway, hope you guys had a great week with us. We'll be back Monday for the first time in a while at two o'clock. Yeah, you 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 sure about that? <laughs> exactly. So come back with us at two o'clock, Mo. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. <laughs>